0: Thank you for tuning in to this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. Tonight, we are going to talk about sex. Oh, yes. If you are sitting next to your significant other right now, this might be a good time. To, I'm just kidding, don't split up, that'll be weird. That'll be weird, okay. Now, here's the thing. There's a lot of thoughts that come with this. There's lots of questions that come with this. If you've been with us over the past four weeks, we've been walking through this series entitled, This Is The Way. We are walking through wisdom literature in the Old Testament. Shh, calm down and know you're excited. Talk about sex, okay. Um, And we've been talking about different areas and how God Himself informs different areas of our life. Week one, we talked about the fear of the Lord. Week two, we talked about cultivating meaningful friendships. Week three, we talked about the power of words. Last week, we talked about the stewarding of our finances. This week, I wanna talk with you about sexuality, sexual integrity, sexual immorality, And I believe this is a huge topic that often is said we don't talk about enough in church. And I understand that. And I understand that it's also uh, quite an uncomfortable topic to talk about for a couple different reasons. But before we hop in, I wanna clarify some expectations and I wanna address some elephants in the room. Is that okay? Let me tell you what tonight is not. This is not a sex ed course. I'm not telling you where babies come from tonight. If you want to figure that out, we have the public school system here in Colorado. And if you went through a health class and you still don't know, I'm sorry that the public health system failed you. (laughs) Option two would be you can go talk with your parents. If this is not a safe place to talk about with your parents, you can email vmendoza at (laughs) newlifechurch.org. Any of your biological questions um, we would be happy to answer your questions on that email. But this is this is what I do want to say. Um, we are living 50 to 60 years right now post the sexual revolution that took place in Western America in the 50s, 60s, and even headed into the 70s. And the, the, the baseline understanding of that sexual revolution was that your sexuality is a means of self-expression. It's a means of kind of telling the world who you are establishing what you value establishing your preferences and it's generated so much conversation today that kind of uh, confuses we're going to say this topic of what do we mean when we say sexuality sexual integrity sexual immorality if you looked at the church of this conversation 50 60 years ago primarily when we talked about this topic we were talking about sex between a man And a woman. We were talking about purity and abstaining from sex until you're married. But now, when we say these words today, the conversation's quite different, isn't it? If we're gonna talk about sexuality, the things that are gonna come to mind are homosexuality and bisexual and the LGBTQ community and gender identity and sexual orientation and sexual addiction and sexual abuse. There's a whole a whole kind of basin of topics that we can work from when we talk about this. And so I wanna establish expectations tonight. I'm not here to give you a holistic theological view of all of those things tonight. We don't have time. However, I do think that some of the things we're gonna unpack tonight speaks to all of these areas in some way, shape, or form. And what I really wanna get after this evening is what does it mean to live as godly people with sexual integrity? What does it mean for us to look at our sexuality in a godly way? And I think as we look at the landscape of culture, we kind of have a paradigm by which all of humanity and the way we view sexuality falls into. And I think we lean one way, but I think the first way we might look at sexuality is that, the, that sexuality and the, the, the concept of sex, sexual integrity is insignificant. It's not something that really matters. And the other end of this pendulum might be that we make sexuality or sexual integrity or sexual desire or sexual intimacy ultimate. And we make it such a big deal that it's something that's created to satisfy us. And I think there's a lie in both of these things. As we look at both, I would say that this is really where culture is landing and I'll, I'll give my why in a second, but I wanna address that if we're, we're looking at sex, sexuality, sexual integrity as something that's insignificant, we're severely mistaken because sex and our sexuality is a gift from God and no gift from God is insignificant. Are you with me? So important to catch this. But the problem with making sexuality, sex, sexual desire, sexual intimacy ultimate is that we buy into the lie that we were made to be satisfied by this, and we weren't. It was made to be enjoyed, but hear me, there is a better way. There is a better way when it comes to our sexuality, our sexual integrity, sexual immorality, and so this is the God statement that I wanna place before you tonight and that I hope we can drive home. God is better. God is better. You were made to be satisfied. I was made to be satisfied by one thing and that's God himself. That is the only gift of God's that is ultimate, is himself and he offers it to us. And I believe it's so important to set that as our premise and that as the stage when we enter into this conversation. Now. As I have been studying for this message, as I've read books, on this message, as I have submitted myself to my own pastors, my own leaders, uh, leaders, theologians that I respect on this message, as I've listened to people who fall all over the spectrum on this message, uh, who, are, who are non-believers and homosexual and affirming, the LGBTQ community, transgender people, as I've listened to them on this topic, as I've listened to believers on this topic, There are two things that I feel very pressed by the Lord in my own personal life when it comes to this topic, to sexuality, sexual integrity, sexual immorality. It's two things that I desire to grow in. And I wanna plead with you this evening as the people of God, no matter where you fall in this room, whether you're homosexual in this room, whether you don't identify with a given gender, in this room, whether you're a believer in this room, wherever you fall on this paradigm and you're gonna call yourself a follower of Jesus, there are two things that I think are so important when it comes to this topic. And the first is that we would want to grow in conviction. And this is what I mean by that. We want to be rooted, grounded, and anchored in our perspective on this topic with God's perspective. In other words, when it comes to this topic or any other topic, but this one specifically because it's such a hot topic in culture today, we would be far more concerned with what God thinks about this topic and far less concerned with what we think about this topic. Are you with me? This is why this is important because I'm gonna go back to our logic at the beginning of this series. The beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. And we talked about the fear of the Lord is seeing God rightly. And as we look at wisdom literature, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, what this series has informed to us is that we do live in a moral universe. There is a right and there is a wrong. Now here's, here's something important to catch. I can be a non-believer and believe we live in a moral universe. Are you with me? I cannot believe in Jesus and believe that murdering somebody is terrible. And I can be a believer and believe that we live in a moral universe and believe that killing somebody or murdering somebody is something that's wrong, are you with me? Here's the difference between the two. A non-believer's perspective on what is right and what is wrong rests within their opinion and their mind. Are you with me? Somebody who's not going to see this as God's world is going to say, this is what I see as right And this is what I see as wrong. This is where the logic, live your own truth comes from. Live and let live. Let's just do our thing. But that's impossible for the believer. It's sinful in my mind for me to go, this is the way I see the world and that's the right way. The invitation of the gospel is for me to say, God, what's your perspective? What do you have to say about this? And the believer's morality is informed by what God says is life and what God says is death, not what we perceive that to be. Are you with me? Now, that's important to say, because I'm not saying that you have to agree with me tonight, but if you're going to call yourself a follower of Jesus, what that means is you are going to have to agree with what God has to say about these things. And I think it's important for us to go, okay, we all have limited perspectives. I'm well aware that there are different perspectives in this room. But if we're gonna call ourselves follower of Jesus, if I'm gonna call myself a follower of Jesus, then I want to be far more concerned with what God thinks about this area or any area. Why? Because as the prophet Isaiah says, his ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. They are in fact higher. Than my own. In other words, that is to say, God's thoughts are a greater standard of what absolute truth is and what right and wrong is as opposed to my own. Are you with me? It's important that we grow in conviction, but you gotta catch this. The second thing that we must grow in when it comes to this topic, and it cannot be separated from conviction, is compassion. I don't want to just know what God thinks. I don't just want God's thoughts about this topic. I want God's heart about this topic. I want God's heart on this topic. And this is why I need to say this, because more often than not, believers, including myself, fail when it comes to this. I'm well aware that there are people in this room who are carrying things, wrestling with things, identifying with things that I can't fully empathize with. I am well aware that there are people in this room that have same sex attraction and they don't know how to talk about it. And they don't know who to talk about it with. And there is a severe amount of fear that this is not a safe place for that to be talked about. I am well aware that there are people in this room who might wrestle with how you identify yourself as a male, a female, somewhere in between. And I think far too often, we get so fixed on the conviction that we miss that Jesus's first invitation in the gospel is for us to love one another. And so this is what I wanna do. I wanna know what God thinks about this topic And I wanna learn how to walk with people the way God would walk with people in this topic. And that's to say, I am not God. I am not God. And so I wanna put before you, if you are anywhere in those camps that I just addressed, if you're someone in this room who's wrestling with sexual addiction, pornography, fantasizing, you're in a sexual relationship already right now with somebody in high school, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, several different people, If you're somebody who's been sexually abused, if you're somebody who is straight, never had any form of sexual experience in your life, and you feel very strong in this area, the invitation for all of us this evening is to be transformed into the image of Jesus, including myself. We cannot separate these two, conviction and compassion. What does God think? and what's his heart when it comes to walking with a broken humanity and our sexuality, our sexual integrity, and our sexual immorality. That being said, I wanna provide to you this evening what I believe to be a biblical definition of sexual immorality. Because what I wanna center on this evening is what does it mean to walk in sexual integrity? What does it mean to live in the way that God intends us to live? Now, this definition is going to inform you where I biblically stand on a lot of these issues. And you can draw conclusions and you might draw assumptions. My only request to you is if you're drawing assumptions that you are not sure of, come ask me and let's talk about it because that's the invitation of what the people of God do with one another. That being said, this is the definition I wanna put before you tonight for sexual immorality any sexual activity, emotional or physical, outside the covenantal relationship of marriage between one man and one woman. Are you with me? This is the reason why I chose this definition for sexual immorality. There are no cases in scripture where sexual activity is referred to as holy and pleasing to the Lord outside of a covenantal relationship between one man and one woman in marriage, are you with me? I can't find any any examples, I can't find any biblical evidence for there to be any author, Old Testament or New Testament that's going to say that sexual integrity can exist where people are sexually engaging with each other emotionally and physically. That's important to catch. Sex is not just a physical thing. It's an emotional thing. This is why like, like looking at pornography is costly. It's costly. Any sexual activity, physical or emotional outside of what God gave for the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. There's no biblical evidence that I can find I can find plenty of biblical evidence where every form of sexual activity referred to in the Old Testament and New Testament outside of marriage is referred to as sexual immorality. Are you with me? I want us to understand and be on the same page and same definition for what we're working forward tonight as we build on what does it mean to live a life of sexual integrity And as we open up the scriptures here in Proverbs 5, we're gonna see a weight and a seriousness to the way the author talks about this topic. So that being said, Proverbs 5, if you got your Bibles, I want you to follow me there. We're gonna read the whole chapter real quick and then we're gonna dive in. If you don't have your Bible, you can look on the screen. Solomon says this, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, You groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern with a forbidden woman, and embrace the bosom of an adulteress. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his past. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord, to which all God's people said, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we need you. We love you and we need you. We want your spirit to come and and speak to us. Father, I pray that you would come and you would grant freedom. That where there has been shame and condemnation, tonight it would be met with grace and mercy. God, would you come? We wanna fear you, we wanna know you, we wanna trust you, we wanna be convicted, we wanna grow in compassion. We need to know what you think. We want to know what you think. Would you show us a better way? Would you show us, God, that you are better? And if you can agree with that, can you say amen? It's very, very clear when you read this Psalm that sexual integrity is a very, very, very big deal to the Psalmist. The language that he uses over and over and over again is that of life, death, and great urgency. Look here at verse five again. Verse five and six, her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. He's talking about the adulterous woman here. Proverbs 5.14, he says, I am at the brink of utter ruin. Again, in 22 and 23, it says, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of sin. He dies for lack of discipline and because of his great folly, he is led astray What the author of Proverbs is wanting to get at here is he's going, look, for the follower of Jesus, man or woman, to turn aside to sexual immorality, to turn aside and give yourself to any form of sexual activity, emotional or physical, outside of the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman is a path to death. It's a path to death. It breeds death. Destruction. It breeds chaos. It destroys the life in which God created you to live. There is a matter of great urgency. Our sexuality, sex in and out of itself, has this great power this great power to be a blessing or to be a curse. All of you in this room right now are fruits of the blessing. You are a blessing of sex, right? But many of us, thank you for laughing at that, (laughs) Prem. You can laugh, it's gonna be okay. Sometimes you just gotta breathe when you talk about sex, okay? Just turn and look at your neighbor and say sex. (laughs) It's such an awkward word to say in church, but like, that's weird because it's such a good thing. It's such a good thing. Like, 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 you're all fruit of the blessing, but many of us in here have experienced the curse, right? We've experienced maybe watching one of your parents have an affair and what that brings about and what comes as a product of that divorce and, and, and the breaking up of families. You've, 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 you've seen what sexual addiction can cause, We have a whole industry globally worldwide that traffics young women and even young men and exposes and exploits their body for sexual activity. We know the power of this thing and that it drives the human will and the human desire to do a lot of things and it can bring about blessing and it can bring about curse. And this is why the author of Proverbs, Solomon himself is going, look, this is a matter of great urgency the life of sexual immorality, that pathway is a pathway to hell. It's death, it's separation, it's utter ruin. It embraces the cords of sin. And so I think a logical question for us to ask is why does our sexuality and sexual desire and sexual integrity matter so much to God? Why does it matter? Like, like, why is it such a big deal? And in my classic Tim Shepherd way, I'm gonna give you three reasons why. <laughs> Though there are so many more. Three reasons why I believe our sexuality, our sexual desire, and our sexual integrity matter so much to God. The first one's obvious, but really not that really. It's this, is that we are made in the image of God. I need you to catch this, because this is a big deal. And here's why this is a big deal because most of the time when you're having the sex talk with mom and dad or you're in health class at school or some form of sexual conversation is coming up especially in the church is that sexual activity is equated to sin and brokenness. But that's not the first impression we get in the Bible. And if we are going to be bearers of God's image, it's so important that we get this right and with right priority. Let me show you, Genesis 1, 26. Talking about sex is so fun. (laughs) Then God said, let us, everyone say us. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Stop. Did you see what just took place in the last two lines? I have a news flash for you. Sex is not the enemy's idea. It's God's idea. And as a married man, I would like to say it's one of his better ideas. When I got married, you know that movie, you know, Ice Age, when like Sid makes the fire and he goes, I'm a genius. As a married man, I find myself saying that to God all the time. You're a genius. Like it's God's idea. Look at your neighbor again and say sex. Like hear me. This is important to catch. It's important to catch God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They said, let us make man male and female in our image. And we're gonna give them this gift, and this gift is gonna be primarily for two reasons. We're gonna give them this gift of sex as a married couple to do two things, one to enjoy. I promise you when you get married, it's enjoyable. (laughs) It's to be enjoyed, but two, did you catch? Can we go back to that slide? Genesis 1, 26 and 28. Can we put that back up, Zach? He says, look, and God blessed them and God said to them, what? Be fruitful and multiply. So, So catch this, look at the logic. God creates male and female in his image. And one of the first commands that he gives to man and woman, it says, have sex and have babies. Why? Why? Because when that union takes place between a husband and a wife and a miracle of life comes out of it, what happens? More who bear the image of God fill the world. We are image Bearers. Our sexuality isn't just something that it's like, oh, whoa, we're images of God. Like, like, like the, the two becoming one in marriage is a reflection of the three in one. Are you with me? Are you with me? Equal, equal, equal in value, equal in worth, but distinct in function. Distinct in function. We bear the image of God. And when man and woman, husband and wife come together, that bears the image of God. And what comes as a product of that? Image of God. We are made in the image of God. This is why our sexuality matters to God. Because he gave it to us for his image to be born in the world. You are all living proof that God is the creator of this world. You are all living proof that our God is sovereign over this world. You are all living proof that God has come to redeem this world. We bear the image of God. This is why our sexuality matters to be God because it's in our sexuality that God uses in his sovereign providence to replicate that image through the world. Be fruitful and multiply. I've given you the ability to become one with one another, to have sex with one another, to be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Our sexuality matters to God because we are made in his image. But it's not just that. Number two is that we are made for covenantal faithfulness. We are made for covenantal faithfulness. So this is is a logical question to ask. Why is it that God gave sex to be exclusively intended for marriage when it so clearly can be enjoyed outside of marriage? It's a logical question, right? We can say, why would God give us this, this genius idea That is supposed to be utilized in marriage. And I need you to see something. It's because it points to a reality, a greater reality beyond pleasure. And this is what I mean by that. When my wife and I stood on the altar and we said, I do to one another, and we committed ourselves to one another and our marriage is consummated when we come together at one flesh, What we are saying is that what I have given you, I give to no one else. I am yours. You are mine. And the only, the best way, I could give my wife all my money and I'm happy to do it. I could give my wife all of my efforts. I could give my wife all of my resources. I could give my wife like everything. But the only thing that I can physically give her that shows her I am yours is what God gave us in sex and likewise for my wife. He gives us this as a symbol of covenantal faithfulness. Why? Because this is what God gives his bride in Jesus Christ. He says, I am yours, you are mine. I'm committing to you that I will never leave you nor forsake you for better or for worse. Are you with me? It symbolizes, now here's something, this is something important to realize. Covenantal faithfulness is not just to be enjoyed by married people, it's to be enjoyed by single people too. This is why this applies to every single person in this room. We express covenantal faithfulness in marriage with sex with one another physically. And we express covenantal faithfulness to the Lord in celibacy and chastity and singleness. Why? Well, because if we understand that sex is a gift from God, then when we choose, when you choose to abstain and say, I know that that is meant for the fireplace of marriage, what you are saying is I'm in covenant with God. I'm fearing the Lord to say that he has shown me what the way to life is, simultaneously showing me what the way to death is. And this is where culture gets it all mixed up. Right. Let me just like address, like, like this is usually the logic I hear from young men and even young women. Pastor, well, they don't call me pastor. I'll be like, crazy dude. Why would I do that? Doesn't it make much more sense to enter into it and see if you enjoy it with that person before you commit to that person? I'm gonna say this as like kind and as clear as I can. There is no way to simulate marriage before marriage. I, I'll say this to the strength that I feel it. The institution of marriage makes no sense if you don't follow Jesus. To the world, it might bring a financial benefit, but outside the covenant of Jesus, it makes no sense. There's no way to simulate marriage. Why? Because if you're gonna have sex before marriage and see if they're the right one, what you've communicated to that person is you're willing to be one with them, but not commit to them. You with me? When I stand on an altar with my bride and I say for better or for worse, I'm choosing you. What I'm saying there is unconditionally, despite all of your brokenness, I'm pledging myself to you. If I'm gonna choose to have sex with my wife before my wife and I'm gonna say, does it work? I'm not giving her that covenant. I'm being selfish and doing it my way. There's no way to simulate marriage before marriage. When you enter into marriage, this is why sex is meant for this unique gift. There's something about it that God does where he says you're not just two becoming one. Spiritually, you're two becoming one physically. This is why he says in Genesis two twenty-four: for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The apostle Paul echoes this message in Ephesians 5. And it's going to say Ephesians 5, 31 through 21. It's 31 through 32. Mind, don't mind the error there. He says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And the mystery is profound. It's a mystery. It's not something that can be calculated. It's not something that can be quantified before you get married. It's a mystery and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So what he's saying here is this covenantal faithfulness thing that we find in marriage, it points to a greater reality with Jesus Christ. Now, I'm, I'm going long, but it's sex night, so deal with it. <sighs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you three practical points, okay? Because this is the question I get all the time, especially as a high school youth pastor. How do I find the right one? Like what does a godly relationship look like? I know that you are all between the ages of like 14 and 18, 19. Your hormones are raging right now. You can laugh at that, that's okay. Like your hormones are raging right now. And so the question that I get all the time is like, what does it look like? What what does a godly like form of relationship look like? I'm gonna give you three practical things, three filters for what it, what it looks like to find a healthy partner and discern a healthy partner. I'm gonna go through these really quick because we gotta keep moving. Can we put this up on the screen? I love this one. Do you find them attractive? This sounds really obvious, but we're gonna say it for what it's worth. If you're gonna marry someone, I pray to God you're attracted to them. I pray to God you're attracted to them. But here's here's what I mean by that. Are they somebody that you could see yourself spending a life with? It's not just physically. Are you attracted to them emotionally? Are they a safe place to converse with? Are they a safe person to do life with? And here's the thing. That first one's important. That's kind of like the, that gets you through the door of going, okay, they're attractive. But here's number two. And this is usually where everybody gets off. Do both of you have a love for Jesus? In other words, how's their character? Is it a man of God? Is it a woman of God? My one of my best buddies, over the last four years, he's dated several girls and he's your classic overthinker. He's like thinking, what's our theology of marriage before I ask her on a date? I'm like, dude. Settle. Settle. And I'm sitting with him one day, and he's like going through all this stuff that he's over-processing, and there's this girl that he clearly likes, but he doesn't know if he should ask her on a date because he's breaking it down philosophically, and we're sitting in the hot tub at Lifetime. <laughs> and I just said, homie, I got three questions for you. And if you can answer yes to all three of these, then ask her out tonight. And I said, are you attracted to her? I said, yes. I said, does she love Jesus? He said, yes. I said, do you want to get married one day? He said, yes. I said, then ask her out. I'm like, you don't need to know what her theology of marriage is or her vision for life is yet. Just ask her out. Fellas, man up. Thank you. Like man up. Man up, like, is like, she attractive? Does she love Jesus? Do you want to get married one day? That's all you need to know. Now here's the thing. You ask yourself the question, how do I know if they love Jesus? This is really important. And this is really like an indicator of whether you really want to enter a healthy relationship or not. Do you and this other person have people that you can go to that can speak into it? Because here's the thing I've sat with several in this room where I've said, you don't have a love for Jesus, they need to stay away from you. <laughs> and I've looked, I've looked at them and I said, I don't think they have a love for Jesus, you need to stay away. I've talked to kids in this youth group, where I've, I've, I've met kids that they walk in here with, and I'll, you guys don't think I watch, I watch. And I'll observe and I'll go, I think that dude's bad news. I think you need to steer clear. I don't see a love for Jesus. And three, do you want to get married one day? In other words, do both of you have a call that you're willing to submit to God and die to yourself with? If you can answer yes to those three questions and usually hear me, it takes time to answer them. Don't you walk out of here tonight and go, I could answer all three of those to my girlfriend or boyfriend who's 15 years old and works at Chick-fil-A. Like, no, Those aren't logical questions. Then hear me, take time. But this is a godly filter to go, okay, is this person healthy to walk with? Why does our sexuality matter to God? We got off track there. We're made in the image of God. We are made for covenantal faithfulness. And here's number three. I wanna go ahead and bite Cassidy back up here right now. Number three is we are not our own. This one's huge, and I need you to pay attention with me. Oh, dear goodness, we are so late. But we're talking about sex, it's good. We are not our own. First Corinthians 6. Can we put this on the screen? 18 through 20. The apostle Paul, he says this, flee from sexual immorality, free from any sexual activity, emotional or physical, that is not in the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Look here, brothers and sisters. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This verse alone Stands down the entire philosophy of the sexual rev- revolution. This idea of sexuality is your self expression. What do you want to do with your body? What do you identify as your body? How are you going to aim your sexual desires? It's your body. And Paul's looking at the church in Corinth and he's going, You are not your own. That body you have, it's not yours. It's not yours. It's God's. Therefore, honor God with your body. This here is the big difference. And I need you to notice it. This is what makes the life of the believer so different. Last week, we talked about stewardship and us taking what God has given us To glorify himself. I'm talking about the body here. Your sexuality matters to God. Why? Because your body is not your own. It's God's. It's God's. And hear me He created you for glory, He created you for beauty, He created you for Himself, not for yourself not for another, for himself. And if we could grasp this statement alone, then it helps us look at pornography. It helps us look at our sexuality. It helps us look at our fantasies. It helps us look at our practices and have to go. I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. And that price was the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't follow Jesus, I know that makes no sense to you. But if you're a follower of Jesus, then the gospel necessitates that we would take all that we have, our sexuality, our sexual preferences, the way we see ourselves, and what? Put it at the foot of the cross. I want to end tonight with talking about Jeremiah chapter 2. The rest of the band can go ahead and come on up. I know we're going late, but I'm talking about sex. Jeremiah 2, the prophet Jeremiah, he's writing from God's perspective to Israel. And I want you to listen to the language that he uses here at the beginning of chapter 2. Verse 2, it says this This is what the Lord says. This is God talking to Israel. He says, I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride, you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Stop there. <laughs> I'm going st- to speak to a specific group in here right now for those who call themselves followers of, followers of Jesus, and you are wrestling with sexual immorality right now. You're addicted to pornography. You're addicted to fantasizing. You're sexually active. You're engaging in sexual activity. And hear me, the two things that the enemy has poured over your life is shame and guilt. And you just simply can't get free. You tried so hard. You try in your efforts so hard, and you can't get free. And you've just submitted to the process. And you said, this is just who I am. This is what I'm going to do. And You have a time in your life where you can look back and remember you had a love for Jesus, but that love for Jesus has faded. This is what Jeremiah is saying to Israel. And he goes, I remember. I remember when you saw that one time and you tasted that I was good. I remember that time you were devoted to me. I remember that time that you refused to give yourself sexually to anything else. You were devoted to me. He remembers it. But then skip to verse five. God's saying to Israel, what fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. He's going like we were in relationship. I delivered you through the wilderness. I brought you through the Red Sea. I brought you out of slavery. Do you not remember the works I did on your behalf? Do you not remember how I brought salvation to your home? And he's going, What fault did you find with me? What about anything else that you're embracing out there feels better than what I have to offer you? What did I do that provoked your betrayal of me? And he says this, next verse, jumping down to verse 13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, hear me, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So what Jeremiah is saying here is he's going, Israel, God is saying to you, you left me, the spring of living water. And instead of having the well that does not run dry, you've chosen to embrace things that are broken cisterns, water that you thought would satisfy, and they're broken. They don't even hold water. He's saying, what did I do? My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, that's the first sin. But if you pay attention to this verse here, what really breaks the heart of God is not just that they forsake him, but they forsake him for something else. This is why your sexuality matters. Your sexual desires matter. Your sexual integrity matters. is because you were made for God himself. So I need you to hear me. Can you bow your heads? The question that sits before you tonight is, why would you ever forsake any sexual activity, any sexual immorality that brings you so much pleasure, that brings you so much delight? Why would you make a choice to abstain Why would you make a choice to turn away from the sexual activity that you've already embraced? Why would you make a choice to stand firm? Why would you make a choice to let God tell you who you are? Why would you make a choice to let God inform what is life and what is death in your sexuality? There's one reason I wanna give to you tonight one reason why you should forsake all of it, why you should embrace God's wisdom. And here's the reason. God is better. God is better. He's better. God wants to forgive you. He wants to set you free. He wants to give you new life. And so this is what I want to do. Um, I don't want you to go to the back of the room. I want you to stay here towards the front. But I would like you to just find a space where you can get comfortable. If you want to stay in your seat, you can stay in your seat. If you want to get on the ground, you can get on the ground. Just find a spot. Just don't go to the back of the room. Okay? Just find a spot where you can be with yourself. Be by yourself. And there there are just a couple things that I think you should know as we just take a moment and respond to whatever God's doing right now. If you're in here tonight and you're wrestling with sexual addiction, you're wrestling with sexual addiction, what I need you to hear me say is you need to know the patience of God. God is long-suffering. And he has not abandoned you. And you might sit here and say, I've tried to get free, or I've tried to walk away, or I've tried to do something else, but I just can't hear me. God is patient with you. And if you're saying, this can't be broken. I've been sexually abused, and I can't shake the terror of that trauma. You're saying, I've been looking at pornography since I was in fifth grade. You're saying, I've been sexually active in a relationship and I can't go backwards. I'm too weak. I'm too weak to break the addiction. I'm too weak to get help. I'm too weak to walk away. What I need you to hear me say is God is powerful. He can break any form of sin, any form of death. And the cross is proof of it. And if you're in here and... You're in the place where you're saying, I don't want to. I like and I enjoy my sexual preferences, my sexual desires, and how I'm practicing out my sexuality right now. And you don't have any desire to change or shift. What I need you to hear me say is that God is precious, and He's far more valuable than what you could ever think that sexual immorality has to offer you. And so as we head into this worship song, I want to invite you to submit and surrender this area of your life to the Lord. And this is what I want to do. Um, I know it can be kind of uncomfortable, but I want to give the space for it. If our small group leaders could get up Just kind of go to the back of the room. And if this is something where it's like, ah, I want to fight this. I want to fight this. I want to fight this. But I don't know how. But I don't know how. But I don't know how. There are two things in scripture that God gives us to fight sexual immorality. And they really hurt, and they're really hard. But they work. Our two weapons of warfare against sexual immorality are confession and repentance, confession and repentance. And I want to give you that space tonight. But as we go back into this song and as the team leads us, I want to give you an opportunity to simply submit this area of your life to the Lord and simply say this, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. As it is in heaven. So if you want to get prayer, you can go back to prayer. If you want to respond in worship, you want to respond in worship. Let's lean into the presence of the Lord, brothers and sisters. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.